mental illness accounts for up to a quarter of all ill health around the world, and it makes a massive contribution to disability and early death. That's according to experts who met in London to launch the new Centre for Global Mental Health, run by the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and King's Health Partners, a group with King's College and some of London's top teaching hospitals in it. The key issue is essentially that in some countries, more than 95% with people with mental disorders neurological disorders or substance abuse disorders, they do not receive any treatment. Benedetto Saraceno, Global Director of Mental Health at the World Health Organization. The new centre is for research on the prevention and treatment of mental health and particularly on closing the gap in mental health care between rich and poor countries. Anna Lacey asked the co-director of the new centre, Vikram Patel, why they wanted to concentrate so much on global mental health when there are so many other problems, other diseases, poverty, climate change that are on the global agenda right now. Well, first of all, I don't think it's an either-or issue here. There's enormous connections between all the things that you just mentioned, such as poverty and other diseases with mental health. Uh, quite simply, there is no health without mental health. The other reason why I think it's important to focus on global mental health is because it is disproportionately neglected in terms of the burden of mental disorders in low- and middle-income countries and the resources that are allocated for addressing those problems. Can you give me some examples about why low- and middle-income countries are so much, have so much more of a burden than, than, say, the developed world? Well, no, I don't think they have more of a burden. I think they have proportionately uh, probably as significant a burden in, uh, the, as they do in the developed world. But the big difference really is that in the developed world there's a lot more resource allocation than there is in the developing world. And what have the impacts been of that over, over the past decades? Well, for starters, there's very few mental health human resources in most developing countries. So as a consequence of that, the field of mental health care has suffered greatly. I think one of the great innovations, in fact, that the Centre for Global Mental Health wants to champion is to look at the use of non-specialist, non-medical health workers to provide mental health care on the front line. And is there any evidence that people who aren't specialists in this area are, are actually going to be able to make a difference? Well, absolutely, and that's really one of the most, uh, one of the greatest Phillips, really, for, for our work, is the evidence that is emerging that task shifting, which is essentially the idea that you shift certain healthcare tasks to people who are less well-trained and therefore less expensive, uh, is in fact effective and safe for a number of mental health problems in a variety of developing countries. So rather than having to go to some consultant, some specialist, you could go down to your local health centre and there'd be somebody there who, who might be able to help you deal with whatever your problem may be. Well, quite right. For a start, though, there wouldn't be any consultant to consult because in most of these places there are no psychiatrists. So now we're offering an alternative to no care at all. You're mainly based in Goa, although you are obviously here in London too. Can you just tell me a little bit about some of the projects you've got going on there at the moment? We have a 12-year programme of work principally supported by the Wellcome Trust and the MacArthur Foundation. These are our two major supporters and we really have two major strands of mental health research going on there. The first is descriptive research that really looks at the interconnections between mental health and other issues like poverty that you mentioned, domestic violence or chronic disease like HIV. And the second strand is to develop low-cost treatments uh, which can be delivered by non-specialist health workers and then evaluate them. 
what sort of low-cost treatments? One example would be a trial that we're conducting right now, which is trying to develop a package of care, of home-based care, community-based care for people with serious mental illnesses, particularly schizophrenia, that is delivered by a lay health worker, uh, and then evaluate what the benefits of that treatment are, for example, on disability levels. Now, it does make me wonder whether some of these things that you're trialling out in, in Goa could maybe have impacts in the developed world, where, of course... There is also um, problems with not enough mental health care and, and capacity. Well, that's a good question, really, because I think I've been asked the same thing before by others, especially with mental health care costs spiralling in the richer world. I think the questions we're asking in the low-income world, out of necessity, really, out of compulsion, we don't have a choice in those countries, may, in fact, I think you're quite right, travel in the reverse direction and have great applicability in rich <laughs> mental health systems. How do you think this centre is going to maybe help people to talk more about mental health in general? Because it is one of those things that sometimes people want to maybe sweep under the carpet and not really mention. Well, by creating a partnership really between two real foundation pillars of academia in Britain, um, I think we will add a lot of gravitas, a lot of credibility to discussions around global mental health. This is a group of individuals that comprises a huge proportion of our population and their needs have been systematically neglected for generations. That's sufficient reason for me to feel passionate about this issue. Vikram Patel, who works for the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine in Goa, India. The WHO's Global Director of Mental Health, Benedetto Saraceno, told me that in many parts of the world, psychiatrists are few and far between. So it's vital that patients can be cared for either by medical or by lay teams who've not necessarily specialised in psychiatry. I think there are, there are three needs. One is to increase the awareness of the decision makers, namely policy makers, politicians and uh, service planners. Second is to provide enough evidence-based research on the burden and on the solutions. And number three, we need to deliver and to work in the field of low- and middle-income countries actually to scale up mental health services. Benedetto Saraceno of the World Health Organization. Another key speaker at the inaugural meeting in London was Pamela Collins from the American National Institute for Mental Health. Anna Lacey asked her what she thought about the need to expand mental health care globally. I think this is incredibly important because I, I think, first of all, in order to move forward in global mental health research, we have to have collaboration. And it's wonderful to have two institutions coming together to form a strong collaboration. They've clearly got a lot of work already under their belts, and we're hopefully we'll see a lot more coming out of this. You talked also about bridging the gap um, in mental health. What did you mean by that? One of the things I mentioned was the fact that there is not a lot of research in poor countries on mental health issues. And we've certainly seen some improvements in that over the last decade. Um, but we have a much further to go. Um, I agree with some of the other speakers who talked about one of the things we really need to understand is how to, how to actually do the services now. How do we implement these things? What's the implementation science that we need to understand in order to take the evidence base, implement the services, but evaluate those to see if they're effective? Pamela Collins from the United States National Institute for Mental Health. 
The co-director of the new centre is Martin Prince from London's Institute of Psychiatry. I asked him first about the stigma associated with mental illness. Is a large part of stigma arises out of lack of awareness and understanding. So, public information, I think, particularly when prominent people within society um, actually talk about their own experiences of mental ill health, this can have an enormous impact in countries. And I think the key thing that we need to get across is that mental health is an issue for all of us at one time or another in our lives. It's not a case of them and us. So mental health specialists, health professionals, have their own mental health problems and probably would benefit from some level of assistance at some time. So we need to remove these barriers and obstacles um, to care. And this needs to be addressed in many different ways at many different levels. It's not something that will be solved overnight. Um, but obviously uh, provision of care and particularly doing that in a very normal way, integrating this just like any other aspect of healthcare in the way that primary healthcare services are delivered is an important step to reducing stigma and discrimination in this area. We've also heard about conflict situations because in conflict zones and goodness me there seem to be a lot of wars around at the moment, people are at particular risk. What do you have to say about that? Conflict and also complex emergencies such as the tsunami, for example, just make everything worse. Um, so the first thing that happens is that any healthcare infrastructure, including particularly mental health care, uh, disappears overnight and suddenly there's even the limited assistance that was available is gone. Um, so those people who were receiving care, first of all, need to be identified and they're very vulnerable and so they need additional help and assistance. The other thing that you find is for a period of time after conflicts and after after emergencies like the tsunami, you find that the rates of the common mental health problems like depression, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, shoot up. Um, now, in many ways, this is um, distress, which is understandable and doesn't necessarily need uh, mental health or medical interventions. What it needs are, are social interventions. It needs somebody to talk to who empathises, who understands, who can listen, who can be with you while you work through the trauma um, that you've experienced. But mental health awareness needs to be built into that process so that people with the more severe reactions can get some special help. We've also been hearing disturbing that among certain age groups, suicide is a leading cause of death. Uh, do you think you could actually impact that? Yeah, absolutely. But again, there's a variety of approaches that, that, that are required here. It, it's mainly amongst um, young people that this has been identified, particularly in South Asia, where it's a huge problem. Now, um, the biggest risk factor for suicide is mental illness. That's long been recognised. And so um, better treatment of mental health conditions, more available treatment and care, um, but also attention towards prevention of mental health conditions within society is hugely important. And there are many antecedents of mental to health problems and a lot of those have to do with social factors um, both within the family, the raising of children, um, the nurturing of children within education and uh, aspects such as um, income inequalities within society all have an important part to play. So again this isn't a problem that can be solved overnight um, but more attention to this and a recognition of it as an important public health issue in many countries is really needed. Martin Prince, Professor of Epidemiological Psychiatry at the Institute of Psychiatry and King's College in London. For audio news from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, I'm Peter Goodwin.